Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. My, the, uh, the ward is full this morning. Nurse Holmes, what have you been doing to me over the weekend? All these, uh, all these patients just checked my notes. Uh, is that uh, the young fellow with the beard next to you? I'm afraid it's, um, it's an acute case of... Uh, New father syndrome. Don't worry about it. We'll leave it as it is. It'll wear off right about the time the child takes driving lessons. Okay. Um, There's a note from uh, Mrs. Rutland. Um, She wants me to make Ken look younger and more handsome. I'm a doctor, not a miracle worker. So it's good to see you this morning. If it's your first time here at Arena Church, you're probably wondering what on earth <laughs> is going on. But we're in a series called Stop It. It's been a great series. We've had a few weeks, and it's, uh, it's my privilege this morning just to, just to share with you for a few moments um, on, the, on the series of, of Stop It. It's been an interesting series, and in maybe some ways you might think it's a painful series. There's all sorts of Stop It's we've, we've brought out. And you can see this morning I'm dressed as a surgeon because there are sometimes, particularly in my world, uh, where stop is very, very healthy. For instance, if you're going to have surgery, uh, before the surgery even takes place, we have something called the timeout, where the whole team stops and takes a few seconds to verify this is the right patient. Quite important that the arrow is marking the spot where the surgeon is going to operate. There's no allergies that we're expecting. There's no equipment issues. It's a healthy stop. Of course, you'd like a surgeon, I'm not a surgeon, by the way, you'd like a surgeon to stop the bleeding, wouldn't you? You'd like a surgeon, if it's cancer surgery, to stop the spread of the cancer. See, stop is such a good thing in all of our lives. It doesn't have to be just medical. And of course, if those stops in a hospital are not taken care of, what happens? We need corrective action. We need corrective treatment. The patient may indeed suffer harm or even death. And as a church, we'd like to put some stop moments in. We'd like to put some things in that we know we can stop doing that keep us healthy, that keep us growing, but also prevent corrective actions needed. It's a good thing to have good stops in our lives. Our base uh, scripture for this series has been Colossians 3, verses 3 to 10. For time, I'm not going to read through it all. We've, We've had stop procrastinating, stop blaming, stop grumbling, and today is stop criticizing. Now, this means I've got the safest preach of the year. Because if you don't like it, by the end of it, you should not be criticising me. Okay, so I could completely bomb this morning. It's going to be fine because you're all going to pay uh, great attention to not criticising. But let me just put your mind at ease, first of all, because when people think about stop criticising, first of all, we get the guilty conscience that arises because we know we all do it. From time to time, we're all guilty of criticising, but then you go, whoa, what about if something's not quite right? So here's a few things that criticism is not. Criticism is not questioning. We're not a church that believes in blind followership, so what's said from the platform, you must all do. We're a leadership of the church, from Christian as a senior pastor to Phil and to Josh and to all the other guys on the leadership team. None of us are perfect. News flash. We're all fallible. We're and we all would appreciate from time to time some good, godly counsel. It's not about critiquing. 
I remember a pastor, he said to me, his elders complained because his preaching was making them uncomfortable. Well, newsflash, maybe that's what it needs to do from time to time. If there's something that's making you uncomfortable, that means God is working on you and the Holy Spirit is helping you. Some people think criticism about correction. I've heard people say, I'm staying in this church because the preaching is not up to much, so I need somebody good to make sure it's all done right. Mm. That's a little bit conceited, I think, because who knows it all? Who is the most eloquent Bible teacher on the planet? Perhaps we could invite them to church to check that we're preaching the right thing. However, I will will tell you, as a church, anybody who preaches on this platform, we are open. We are submitting to the leadership of the church for review, for appraisal, for evaluation. Because I want to get better at what I do. I want to become a better communicator. It's not evaluation. Criticism is not evaluation. We could all get better. As a school governor, I remember we were called the critical friend. That means we were there to help make a difference, to help improve things, but in a friendly, positive manner. And criticism is not about appraisal. Now, you could mark my sermon out of 10 today if you wished. Um, But as preachers, we'd actually much rather hear encouragement rather than the things we missed out and the things we could have said. Because believe me, when we prepare a sermon, there are lots of things we want to say, but in the nerves of the moment, in the tension of preaching, we do forget So it's not about appraisal. But in this chapter, Paul is writing to a good church. The church at Colossians was a good church. They weren't failing. They weren't making a mess of things. He was actually praising them. So why do you think Paul raises this about not criticising? In chapter 1 of Colossians, he says this, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In chapter 3, he says, Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not things which are on the earth. You see, before he became a Christian, Paul reminds them, you were once alienated. You were once enemies in your mind because of sin. And in chapter 3, in that passage, he says, Put off the things in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. Because Paul had explained to the Colossian church, hey guys, we can get all this bad stuff outside of the church. We can get all the criticism, we can get all the negativity, we can get all the grumbling, we can get all the procrastination, we can get all the blaming outside of the church. The church needs to be something different. You need to be able to differentiate yourself from everybody else. Jared's already mentioned it, knowing God. I've been a Christian for many years. I've known God for well over 40 years. But that's just the start. The second part of that program is find freedom. And every single one of us in this room, no matter where you are on your journey with God, there are some things that just keep tripping us up, some things that keep biting. We need to come back to God and say, I need to find freedom from this. Maybe this morning it's criticism. Maybe you know actually at times you're more critical than you should be and not in a good way. This morning, I am going to challenge you a little bit. Maybe it's time to find freedom from that, all of us. Like any medicine, of course, any illness, any sickness, there are various strains. So uh, criticism has two strains. There's two strains. first one is criticism of others. When you're critical of others, here's some of the symptoms of being critical of others. You're judgmental, dismissive, you'll belittle, you'll mock, scorning. There'll be a bit of forensic nitpicking with all being there. Maybe attracted to negative social media posts. Maybe you post them yourself. There'll be delight in failure. There'll be pride. There'll be a case of loving your own voice. There'll be over ambition. 
They'll be seeking position of jealousy. And we've, I've watched with interest over the recent uh, years uh, what's happened to our Prime Minister, Theresa May. Now, I'm not making any political statements or political sides. What I am going to say, though, is the way she has been treated as a human, fallible person has been nothing short of despicable. You see, every opportunity, the media, her opposition, her own party, have sought every opportunity possible not just to suggest or evaluate or appraise or question or critique... The British press at the moment has got a great delight in absolutely destroying people through criticism. Can anybody see any positivity in that? And I'm not making a political statement, whether you agree with it or not. Has she made mistakes? Undoubtedly. But has she done the best from what she feels in herself? And does she deserve that type of criticism? I don't think so. None of us deserve that sort of criticism. The other sort of criticism I'm going to just let you know about is self-loathing. I just felt as a preparer I should bring this out because self-loathing is a form of criticism. You are criticising yourself. There are plenty of people in this world today, they, they, they are depressed, maybe they've got emotional uh, dis- disturbance and disorders. You see, self-loathing is a growing phenomenon. What do you do when you self-loathe? You confess failure of yourself. You confess that there's ugliness in yourself. You confess low self-worth. You start to become that you are unable to forgive yourself. Maybe in your faith you become immobile, you become static, you can't move forward because of your own self-loathing. You're talking criticism over yourself. Maybe it's a loss of passion. Maybe you coming out to church in the morning is really painful these days because of self-loathing. People with self-loathing have many phobias. Paranoia sets in because you think everybody is criticising you. And from that point, you criticise yourself. I really want to speak into that this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've had maybe months, weeks, probably years of self-loathing. You've been telling yourself over and over and over again that you're not worth it. You've been telling yourself over and over again that you don't have any value. That is criticism on yourself. And this morning, I'm going to try and help you through and get through that. Because whatever, whatever the strain you have, whether it's criticism of others or self-loathing, like a good doctor, I'm going to give you the root cause. If you go to your GP, if you see a surgeon, you're hoping he's going to get to the bottom of what's going on. So here's my diagnosis. If you're critical, it's an acute tendency to engage in and endorse criticism of others and yourself. Where does it come from? I believe it comes from a distorted view and understanding of who we are in God. Just take that for a moment. If you're becoming critical of others, if you're critical of yourself, that is probably because you've lost sight of who you are in God. Let's bring some facts in on this. If you look at the vastness and the grandeur of the universe and creation, you and I this morning are such tiny, tiny specks in the whole of all that. We're an inconsequence. It seems that we're absolutely nothing. You couldn't even find us on a microscope from the other side of the galaxy. No chance with that small. In the presence of God who's majestic, who's full of splendor, it's like we're dressed in dirty rags. I was in London yesterday. There's no chance we would have gone to see the Queen in what I was wearing, and they weren't dirty rags, they were just 
casual clothes. I would have been inadequately dressed to meet the Queen. And right now, in natural sense, all of us are inadequately dressed to meet the King of Kings. Because we're all dressed in dirty rags. All of us. In comparison to God's purity and holiness, here's the truth. In actual fact, we're untouchable. What the Bible says about us in our sinful state away from God, we're not someone who's worth hugging. We're not someone who's worth keeping close. We're not someone who's worth even holding the hand. But guess what happens? Colossians again says this. You who were dead in the things you do wrong. You who were dead in sin. He, that is God, has made you alive. You see, over that vastness of universe, in your squalor and in your untouchable state, this is what God did. He reached down. He reached down to you. So before you think you're great, before you think you're not worth anything, just remember this about God. He places so much value in you. So for a moment, let's personalize it. He places so much value in you. Now let's make it public. He places so much value on those people, either side of you as well. The value he has in you, he has in those around us. Does that make sense? Yes. The value that you have to God, it was so great that he sent his only son. He sent Jesus to die for you, that you would become again, not just untouchable, but be completely huggable and part of his adopted family. All of you here this morning, probably most of you are here by choice. Maybe you're dragged along. It's a good day to be in church because you can be reminded how much worth you have to God. Maybe it's a lesson for myself. Get a mirror. Andy, are you feeling critical today? Who are you in God? Who are you really? And who is your neighbor in God? How much value do I have in them? And when you put that brake on, when you consider yourself and others in the view of what God thinks of us, that should change your perspective entirely. If it doesn't, go back to find freedom. Say, God, show me again. How much worth do I have to you? How much value am I? How valuable am I? And when God says, you are so valuable, I gave my all, it wasn't just for you. If you're the only person on the planet, it would have been just for you. But there are over six billion of us. And it's for every single one of us. So next time you're thinking of criticizing, there's something you can do about it. See, as a good doctor, you've got the diagnosis, you've had the symptoms, you've reported the symptoms, you've got the diagnosis. Of course, you all now want a prognosis as well, don't you? You want to know how this is going to work out in the future from the good doctor. I'm afraid we can't just cut it out. Were it so, brilliant, wouldn't it? If the surgeon could get to work on a, a massive critical in our spirit and just carve it out. We can't do that. There's a prescription, and I'd like you to take it daily, and it's three nails. You need to nail your pride. You need to nail your ambition. And you need to nail your status, first of all, pride. See, pride is where all of our trouble starts. Sin itself is pride. That's where it's rooted in. It's about I. It's about me. It's about my. It's about myself. It's not about others. Nail our pride. 
Romans 10. There's two verses there. No one should think more highly of themselves than they ought. Instead, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour, giving preference to each other. In other words, don't blow your own trumpet. You need to nail your pride. Secondly, you need to nail your ambition. You see, we've seen too much of that. I see plenty of that in my works, workplace. I see it on the TV, I see it in the newspapers. People grasping for position, people grasping for fame. That ambition so becomes so great, they don't mind who they tread on to get there. They'll be critical of others because if they think they're critical and bring them down, then they themselves will elevate so much quicker. Remember what Paul said? Hey guys, in church, you need to be different. I'm not saying ambition is wrong because God puts a call on every single one of our lives and that in itself is an ambition. An ambition to move on, an ambition to grow, an ambition to be everything that God has got for you. I promise you this though. Whatever God has for you, it won't involve, it will not involve treading on others. Whatever God wants you to do in your workplace, in church, it will never involve destroying somebody else to get there. I promise you. That's not the Bible. Philippians 2, verse 3 or 4. Paul tells us again in that book. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humbleness, let each of you esteem others better than yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's going to be guys who come through this church, and ladies, I'm not being, just being generic. There's going to be people come through this church. They may not even be in church yet. They're going to come through this church, they're going to meet God, they're going to fight, and they're going to find freedom. They're going to discover their purpose, they're going to make a difference. And maybe with their talents and their gifts, they might overtake you. How are you going to feel about that? Are you secure in who you are in God? Are you going to let them? Are you going to invest in them? Are you going to let them be everything that God wants them to be? It's a tough lesson, particularly for someone who's been in church for all my life. That's 47 years. It's a difficult lesson when we don't criticize. When we see the value that others have. When we see the value that God places on each of us. Then that becomes easier. And like I said, it's a daily thing. You need to nail these things daily. You need to know your status. You see, we talk a lot about unity in this church. It's like Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil flowing down Aaron's beard. The Holy Spirit works in unity, but unity is only going to come about through humility. Unity and humility go hand in hand. It's the best recipe for success this church can have. Do you want this church to grow? Do you want to see these, these seats filled? Yes. We need to be unified, but also all of us need to be full of humility. And like I said before, we're all fallible. We all make mistakes. We all get it wrong. But guess what? If I've got a brother next to me who's endorsing who I am, who's blessing me, who's encouraging me, I'm going to go further. And how much further will you go if someone next to you encourages you as well? That's what Paul is talking about. But now your status... The best example I can think of in the Bible about humility versus status is Jesus. There is none other. He is the best example. Now, you might have disagreed with everything I've said so far. That's down to interpretation, whatever. But this one you can't deny because the Bible says it. And when the Bible says it, it's absolutely true. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, or 5 to 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also 
in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taken on the form of a slave and common in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is a point in the year, every year, where we celebrate Easter, when Jesus died on the cross and gave his all and rose again. But actually, for Christians, this should be a daily experience, where you say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. In that statement, you are saying to Jesus, thank you for giving up your status and coming to earth and being as a man. Thank you for being humble enough. Thank you for going to the cross. When you were innocent, you did not deserve to die, but thank you. Jesus nailed his status. How about you this morning? That's my challenge for you. How about you this morning? Can you nail your status? Can you submit yourself? Say, actually, God, without you, the Bible says, we can do nothing. But your grace is sufficient for me. That's all I need day by day is your grace and that unity in humility will come to all of us. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, maybe you're new to this church. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you don't have a faith. This morning you've, you've come in, you've heard, you've heard singing, you've heard a lot of noise from the band at the, at the top here. Great band, great noise. Maybe you've been met by someone in the black t-shirt for the very first time who were, who were here to help. Maybe you're wondering, what is this all about? See, Jesus humbled himself from his throne in heaven, came to earth and suffered death. And that's for you. That's for me. You might think, well, actually, my first time, Andy, I've never, I've never considered Jesus before, but all you guys, it's okay for you because you're a Christian. You've got it sorted. <laughs> oh, well. Good luck with that one. Not one of us has got it all sorted, but we all start at the same place. We all come in recognition saying, Jesus, you are the one. You are the one who gave it all for me. We sung a song this morning. We'll sing it again at the end. It's your name, the name of Jesus. And this verse goes on to say about a death on a cross, that God had given him a name is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father you see when we, when we humble ourselves the Bible says let God do the exalting you come, hum, you come humble you come with humility and I'll promote you I'll put you into those positions I'll do what's needed in your church it's not my efforts in church this morning it's what God has done and he says Andy just be a bit more humble, will you? And I know there are times when I need to be more humble. There are times when I don't get it right. You see, the challenge of this, this series is not that any of you just walk away going, oh, I'm, I'm done. I could, I could never make that. I'm always grumbling. I, I, I'm often blaming others. And boy... How critical at times. How on earth do I reach that? You can't. You can't reach that. See, God's grace steps in. Saints, no. You can't reach that. But my sacrifice, Jesus said, my death on the cross is all you need. That's the starting point. Come and know God this morning. In a minute, I'm going to give you opportunities to say, actually, Andy, yeah, I'm far away. But I want to come closer. 
Do you know how close you, do you know how far away you are? You're not a million miles away. You're not a thousand miles away. You're not even five miles away. You are only one step away from God at all times. Because the only step you need to take is a turnaround step. The Bible calls it repentance. And that's a step in the opposite direction. This morning, I'm off your chance. Say, Andy, I need to change. I need to make that step. Maybe you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, like me. You're part of this family, and who knows? Families are not perfect. But families stay together, don't they? Despite imperfections. I love my brothers and sisters. My brother and sister, I've got one brother. I love my mom. Love my extended family. We're not perfect. But the more we stay together, the more we stop judging each other, the less criticism we have. We stay strong as a family. This is a family this morning. Welcome to Arena Church. Welcome to the family of Arena. Maybe you've been in this church a long time. Maybe you just started coming. You, you, you know Jesus, but you go, actually, Andy, yeah, this is hurting this morning because the Holy Spirit is just reflecting, going, yeah. That's you. He did it to me when I was preparing. I said, yeah, Andy. When I was told I was preaching on criticism, I thought, I'm in so much trouble. I'm in so much trouble. Because I know it's something I need to sort out. John 13, 35, and I'll close with this. Jesus said, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. The love you have for one another. Families are imperfect. But Jesus brings us together. He says, right, I value you. I know how much you're worth. That's all that matters. Let's just pray. So I'm just going to ask this morning, 